All right, this morning, I'm going to start with a provocative question. Did you know that cows have four stomachs? Yes. You're like, dude, that's such old news. Like, I had elementary biology. We've talked about this. Some of you are like, no, I've never heard this. Yeah, they actually have four stomachs. It is God's beautiful plan to help them digest their food because they eat a lot of roughage. And, and, uh, and, and I don't know if you've ever wondered how they can just eat grass and get so fat because um, we eat grass to lose weight. And so, uh, you know, they, the, the way it works is, is they, they eat the grass and they chomp it up. That's called mastication. That's a great word for you. Um, but it means to chew with the teeth, to grind, and they, and they masticate the grass into, and they pulverize it a little bit and they swallow it into their first stomach and their first stomach does some of its magic, you know, the digestive juices, breaking it down. You're like, Steve, once again, you're being gross. I'm really not, it's just biology. And then they do this thing where they spit it back up and they chew it some more, right? Uh, and, and, and that continues to break it down. They do this four times. Praise God, we are not cows, right? We get to chew our food once and swallow it, and uh, our body does the rest of the work. Uh, but you know what? We actually are a lot like cows um, because this process is called chewing the cud, uh, where, where, you know, they, they swallow it and then they spit it back up, the cud, and they chew the cud and they swallow it and they spit it back up. Another word for this is actually rumination. Uh, and I'm not stretching that definition at all. If you look up rumination, there are two definitions for that word. The first is to chew the cud. Uh, it is a technical term for the process of cow digestion. Uh, the second meaning for the word uh, is to think long and carefully about something. Uh, because linguists, philosophers, humans of all kinds have long seen a parallel between the digestive tract of a cow and the way we carefully ingest deep and important things. What do we do? We, 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 we think about something, and then we walk away from it, and then we come back and we think about it again. And then we walk away from it, and we think about it again. Here's the thing, we all ruminate. It's a very human activity. Um, but it makes a lot of difference what we're ruminating on, right? Um, because what you ruminate on is what you digest, and what you digest is what you become, right? So if you're ruminating on your bitterness, that woundedness, that person who insulted you, the person who didn't give you the attention you thought you deserved or the credit that you thought you earned. If you're ruminating on um, your disappointment, right? Um, because we all have to deal with disappointment, expectation, reality, there's always a gap. And we're always tempted to fill that gap with all the negative stuff. And if all you're doing is living in the gap between expectation and reality and filling your vision with all the disappointments that, that land in that space, and the mistrust that comes from that, and the frustration that comes from that, you're digesting that. You're becoming that. So this morning what I want to do is I want to invite you to an intentional kind of rumination that battles that. Because I believe uh, that, 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 I think all of us, we know that, that as a culture we struggle with anxiety. We know coming out of the pandemic that many of us are struggling with our mental health, with our emotional well-being, with feeling whole and balanced, joyful and encouraged. Like, like we have a mental health crisis in our country right now. And, and there's a lot of things that contribute to that. Isolation, um, uh, financial struggles, insecurities, both economic and political and, and of course, worldwide. Um, but there is an intentional way that we can engage this process, right? 
Look, we don't have to be scavengers, just walking into the mental kitchen, opening the fridge, and eating the first thing we pull out. We don't have to just ruminate on whatever floats up in our minds. The latest insult, the latest difficulty, the the latest stressor. We can intentionally create a mental diet that feeds us life, that strengthens us and encourages us. And one specific way that I want to encourage you to do that this morning is memorizing God's Word. Memorizing God's Word is an intentional investment into our own mental and emotional and spiritual well-being. It is a way for us to to ruminate on the Word of God. Rumination, meditation, memorization, they're all the same thing, right? Now, there are ways to memorize things without ruminating on them. Don't do that, right? We're going to talk about that. But but, but that idea of, of looking at it, engaging it, thinking about it, stepping away from it, coming back, re-engaging it, stepping away, coming back and re-engaging it is a way for us to ingest it so that it can feed us, right? The Word of God is the food that the Spirit of God uses to free us into a profound experience of the love of God. And so let's be intentional about that. Let's take a look at our passage this morning. We're back in Psalm 119. Psalm 119. So grab the Bibles around you. If you don't have a Bible, if you have an app, go ahead and open up to Psalm 119. We're looking at verses 9 through 16. Uh, 9 through 16, it is what's called the Beth portion of the poem. Remember that this is um, a poem that follows the Hebrew alphabet. And uh, Beth is the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And and, uh, in the original Hebrew, each of the uh, stanzas, each of the lines would begin with Beth, with that letter. You don't see that in English, obviously. We lose that part of the poetry. Um, But the entire psalm really is a love song to the Word of God. It is a celebration of the gift of God's Word. And so let's take a look at Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your Word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, how can a young man keep his way pure? To the psalmist, this was a compelling and important question, and it is to us too, but I think we need to take a step back because honestly in our culture today, um, I don't know that this is really the question most people are asking. I think a lot of people are asking, why should a young man keep his way pure? Uh, We have a culture that celebrates moral impurity. We do. We have have a culture that kind of glorifies it, you know? Um, You know, we, we, we we have a culture that makes jokes about how um, uh, we like things to be heavenly out in public, but a little bit uh, um, the other side in private, that, that uh, if you really want to be happy, if you really want to have pleasure, uh, they're, they're, impurity somehow got this, this thing, this, this, this shyness to it, somehow makes it like sexy in our culture and, and, and attractive, right? Um, and that really is 
strange. Um, the psalmist assumes that you want to pursue purity, right? The Word of God assumes that you recognize that this is a good thing. That's not a safe assumption anymore, but, but it's still a sane assumption, right? Here's the thing, even though our culture doesn't celebrate it, right? You're not going to find many TikTok influencers creating videos. Five easy steps to purity, right? Um, you're not going to find a whole lot of Twitter threads that are, that are going viral with, with, you've been struggling with purity, here are the five memorable steps or the five uh, essential websites that will help you accomplish purity. Nobody's going to be clicking through that stuff, right? If it's about how to get wealthy, how to get more followers, how to become uh, more attractive, have better skin, whatever. I mean, people are going to click all over that stuff. Um, but here's the thing. This is really, really foolish. It's actually kind of insane. Um, when the Bible talks about purity, and it is talking about moral purity. It's talking about personal purity. It's talking about, it's talking about being who you're supposed to be, right? The essence of what you were created to be. It's talking about something you really want. You may not know it, but, but it's talking about what you really want. I mean, it makes sense. Who loves impurity? right? You know what's really sexy? Contaminated water. Here, would you like some? It'll make you feel really different. It'll give you experiences you've never had, right? You know what's really hot? This macaroni salad. And I mean that, like it's actually, you can feel the heat coming off of it because it's been sitting out in the sun for six hours. Would you like some? Man, you'll never forget this experience. It will be life-altering, right? Impurity. How weird is it that we've even turned impurity into this thing that's attractive in a moral sense when we understand that it is fundamentally bad in any other sense, right? Impurity. Do you want, do you want the metal in your plane's wings to be impure? Would that, would that be comforting in the bridge that you're driving across or the home that you live in? Would, would you like your food to be impure? You know, this is, this is how we get sick. This is how institutions fail. When the, the fundamental values that made an institution great become great, become impure, the institution itself degrades and collapses from the inside out. Impurity is the enemy of health. Impurity is the enemy of your joy. Impurity is the enemy of, of your security and, and, and your strength and, and your integrity. Listen, you want purity. Right? You want purity. Now, you may have been deceived into thinking that somehow you were going to get what you want on the other side of the door of impurity, but, but you're not. You're only going to get corruption. You're only going to get what hurts and destroys. Right? You want purity. Psalm 119.1 says, blessed are those whose ways are blameless. And, and Aaron talked about this verse a couple weeks ago. Um, uh, but blessed, that word blessed means happy. It means, like, you want to be blessed, right? You want the joy, the happiness, the prosperity, the, the, the fullness that comes with this, right? Blessed is the one who is blameless. Blameless is a word here that, that indicates moral purity, integrity, this sense that if you were to cut me open, I would be the same from the inside all the way through. There's no hidden corruption in the center. There, there is a, an internal strength. There is, there is no hypocrisy. There is no pretending. There, it, it, is, it is true through and through, right? But listen, that is a promise of blessing, not just a description of blessing. Blessed is the one, right? Happy is the one. Fulfilled is the one. Listen, purity is the source of this blessing. 
Purity is what leads us into this experience of wholeness and blessing. So how do we get this purity? How does a young man keep his way pure? He answers it at the end of the verse when he says, by guarding it according to your word. The word of God is essential for us to pursue a path of integrity and purity. Purity isn't the result of of a really, really good religious self-salvation project. Purity is something that is produced in us as we experience the dynamic of the Word of God. The Word of God changes us. It's not us changing ourselves so we become worthy of the Word of God. It's the Word of God actually changing us so that we can actually become what God has created us to become, right? Listen, the Bible, the Bible's made up of a lot of different genres of literature, right? The first five chapters are, are, are law, a little bit of history mixed in there, um, but, but law. It's called the Pentateuch, the five books of the law. After that, you get history, um, the history of Israel and of the kings, and, and then you get some, some wisdom literature, um, Proverbs and, and poetry and Ecclesiastes, and then you get some prophets um, who, who talk a lot about not only their own future, but ours. Um, then you get the Gospels, right? The four Gospels that tell us the story of the life of Christ. And then you get these epistles or these letters, these New Testament letters. Listen, wherever you go in the Bible, you're going to end up with a different genre. You're going to end up with a different experience, right? It's different to read poetry in the Psalms than it is to read history and chronicles, right? It's different. But wherever you go and you read, it's revelation. The entire Bible is a gift to us from God. It is a revelation to us. God is showing us things we could not see if God didn't show them. He is, he is illuminating things, allowing us to see things, to, to awaken us to things that we simply could not discover on our own. It is revelation. And in this sense, it is apocalyptic. Uh, the word apocalypse means revelation. That's why, you know, in the King James Version, the last book of the Bible, Revelation is called the apocalypse. Um, but, but apocalypse, I think, is a better word because it carries this sense of like, ooh, that's really dramatic and it changes everything. Right? When there's an apocalypse, nothing's the same, right? Post-apocalyptic movies, right? They're not just like today, like, hey, I'm just going down to the mall. This is post-apocalyptic. No, it's, it's right? Everything, after the apocalypse, everything is different. After the revelation, after we have seen this truth, it is not simply a, oh, that's an interesting fact that I'll file in the back of my mind. It is, it is this way of seeing life that actually changes how you see everything, all of the Word of God. Is revelation. All of the Word of God is apocalyptic. The, the Spirit of God can use anything in the Word of God to change our experience of the creation of God, right? In the truest sense, it is powerful. And the Word of God is powerful because God empowers it. When we engage the Word of God, we engage the Spirit of God, right? Um, in the book of Hebrews, we read this, and I'll put it on the screen behind me. Um, For the Word of God is living and active, It is living. The Word of God is living. Why? Because the Spirit of God is in it. When you open the Bible and you read it, you are actually having an encounter, not just with the text on the page, but with the living God. It is is living and it is active. This isn't just powerful. It is a restless power. It is a yearning power. It has a goal in mind, and it is your freedom. 
your transformation, your redemption, and your restoration. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It will show you things about not just the world, but about you that you would never be able to see without the revelation revealing it, without that apocalyptic moment where God's like, hey, let me show you this motivation of your heart. Hey, let me show you this thing about this lie that you're believing that's enslaving you and ensnaring you, right? That's an invitation to freedom, to growth, to purity. The Word, the Bible, it's more than a book, it's a revelation, it's an apocalyptic gift to us from God, a restless power that will change us and free us. And this is why the psalmist can say without irony and without hypocrisy, verse 14, right? In verse 14, he says, in the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. That's a pretty astounding statement, right? If I were to ask you, um, if you had to choose between owning the Bible and having access to it and being able to read it or winning the lotto, some of you might have to stop and think for a little while, right? I don't know, $1.2 billion? Hmm, that's kind of life-changing. Or the Bible. Hmm, this old dusty book on my shelf that I probably should read more than I do, but I really don't a whole lot. Let me ask you this, what's a better gift? Something that can change the external reality of your life or something that can transform the internal reality of your life? What's a better gift? Something that can keep you continually changing, uh, I don't know, the countertop in your kitchen? Or something that can actually give you a deep and abiding sense of joy and satisfaction? What's a better gift? Something that can, can open up vistas so that you can take endless vacations? Or something that actually awakens within you a deep and settled, powerful experience of rest and security. You'd be a fool to change the externals when you can transform the internals. You would be a fool to settle for changing the backdrop of your life when you can actually change the experience of your life. I rejoice in the Word of God as much as in all treasure. Why? Because it's the true treasure. It has a power that, that money could never release. Money is a, uh, an imitation. It is, it is a cheap knockoff of the reality. The Word of God transforms us. It reveals to us who God is and who we are. It reveals to us what we were created to be. It reveals to us the lies that keep us ensnared and entrapped. It reveals us to the, the incredible gifts that come through the promises of God, right? That Jesus died and rose again so that we could enter his death so that those things about us that are, are condemned by God but also destroying us can die but also enter into his resurrection, that new life of freedom, of meaning, of purpose. It reveals to us how we're truly wired and how to pursue what is of greatest value. But listen to me, the greatest gift in the Word of God isn't you or about you. The greatest gift in the Word of God is the revelation of God himself. Because the reality is you were created to be obsessed with God. 
You were created to revolve around God, to focus on God, to obsess with God. Why? Because He is the ultimate good, the ultimate beauty, the ultimate creative force. We were designed to live in the overflow of His loving goodness, so much so that we ourselves overflowed with that loving goodness. The Word of God reveals God to us. The whole Bible is really about this one thing, our incredible God, that we might come to to not only hear the command, the great command, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, but actually hear the invitation of the great command. I can love the Lord God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. That is not something I have to do. It is something I get to do. It is not something that is an obligation laid upon me. It is an experience given to me. That's like, man, come and delight in the most delightful thing ever. Come and take joy in the most joyful thing ever. Come and find security in the greatest power ever. Come and find your purpose in the God of ultimate intentions. Come and find your rest in the God of ultimate love. The whole Bible is about that. And listen, as we treasure the Word, as we discipline our hearts to treasure the Word, because because in our our own sinful natures, we are going to be tempted to to treasure external things, you know, money and, and, and houses and experiences more than we treasure the internal gift of the transforming work of God. As we as we treasure His Word, as we discipline our minds to treasure His Word, we awaken our hearts to the beauty of this gift. We come to actually see this treasure as worthy of being treasured. We come to see the love of God as, as, as greater than these external things that are shiny and are tempting to, to lure and seduce our hearts away, right? As we ruminate on the Word, we don't just store it up in our memory banks. The Spirit is embedding it in our hearts, and He speaks through it. And as he speaks through it, he unleashes his power in it, and he changes us. This is the treasure that that isn't just something that we store away in a bank for some future good. This is the treasure that as we store it up, unleashes its power now. This is the treasure that enriches us now, not just in the future. This isn't just about the promise of God's goodness revealed to us in the future kingdom. It is the power of the kingdom unleashed in us through the experience of God's Word now. If this is all true, y'all, we should be burying as much of this treasure as we possibly can in our hearts. We'd be fools not to. Fools not to be burying this treasure so that it can unleash that power and release that blessing in our lives. Psalm 119.11 says this, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I have stored up, I have treasured your word in my heart. I've taken this treasure and I've, I've buried as much of it as I could in the best place I could find, my heart. What does this mean? I mean, at its most simple, it means he memorized it. That's what it means. It means he memorized it. In the Old Testament, obviously, they had writing, but writing was rare. And documents were, were pricey. You know, I mean, for us, after the printing press and, and modern industrialization, um, most of us own multiple Bibles. For most of human history, 
uh, it was an oral tradition, like it was written, but it was read out loud. That's how most people engage the Word of God. And what they would do is as they listened to it out loud, they would repeat it and memorize it. That's how they kept it. That's how they stored it, right? They, they stored it away. They memorized the Word of God. They didn't, and here's the thing, they, they didn't just commit it to memory. They buried it in their hearts. They ruminated on it. They thought about it. They meditated on it. They weren't just memorizing it so that, oh yeah, I got it word perfect. I give myself an A+. They were thinking about it as they memorized it. They were, they were, they were exploring its meaning. They were inviting God to explore them the process. This is meditation. Psalm 119, 15. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will meditate on your precepts. I will ruminate. I'll think about it. I'll step away. I'll come back and think about it again. I'll step away. I'll come back and think about it again. And as we do that, we digest these incredible truths in our hearts and our minds, so that they nourish us, feed us, and change us. I fix my eyes on your ways. This means that you're thinking about it, you're calling it back up to memory, you're considering it, you're stepping away from it, then you're coming back and you're talking about it, you're remembering it, and in the entire process, you're learning to value it, All right? Listen, meditation isn't some weird thing that you just do in yoga class. You know, meditation isn't, meditation is a loaded word because often for us it has very, very specific connotations. When we think of meditation, many people think of, of typical Eastern meditation, the goal of which is to empty your mind, right? Biblical meditation isn't about emptying your mind, it's about focusing your mind. It's not about getting to this place where you're not thinking about anything, it's getting to a place where your vision is filled with the one thing that's worth filling it. And, and memorization of Scripture is a biblical form of meditation. It is a biblical form of rumination. It doesn't have to be weird. You don't have to sit on the floor cross-legged and make ohm sounds, right? You, you don't have to have a yoga mat or wear yoga pants, right? You can do this in your car. You can do this on your way to work. You can do this um, wherever, wherever and whenever you can, right? It is about intentionality of focusing your mind more than on the ambiance and the feng shui of the space in which you do it. The psalmist is saying, I make the conscious and purposeful choice to meditate on your precepts. Right? I will choose to fix my eyes on your character, your promises, your love in your word. It's an intentional commitment the psalmist is making. Now listen, the psalmist was just like us. I think we can often have a little bit of chronological snobbery where we think, man, back in the day, if I had as much time as they did, I'd do that too. Like, what do they have to do all day? Like, you know, just like take care of their animals. I don't know, build stuff, take care of gardens, feed their families, um, fix the fence. Uh, yeah, nothing, right? That's nothing. We that stuff's easy, right? No. The, the stuff they did may have been different than the stuff we do, but their life was, if anything, more full. Now, we tend to overburden ourselves because we're obsessed, and we are an anxious people who love our anxiety. We're a busy people who love to be busy. Uh, we'll even be prideful. Like, how are you doing? Oh, I'm so busy. No, no, I didn't ask you what you were doing. I asked how you were doing. 
Well, no, I, I just need to lead out with that because that reminds you how important I am and, and, and reminds you that, that I'm pretty significant and yeah, I've, you know, holy cow, I have three kids and they're all in sports. All right, you need to know that because I'm that parent, all right? I got the badge, you can't see it, but it's the parent badge. I'm the good parent badge, the one who actually goes to all my kids' games. I'm not that loser, right? All right, we, we love that, but here's the thing. I know you're busy. I know life is consuming. I, I know it's crazy, but listen, it's about intentionality. The psalmist had to do this too, right? The psalmist had a thousand things going on through his day, but he had to make purposeful choices to ruminate on the Word of God in the busyness of his day, right? He had to deal with office politics. He had to deal with, with, with noisy neighbors. He had to deal with the price of the commodities market. He had to, to make plans and, and do things, right? But he also had to be intentional as he climbed on his donkey to ride home after a long day. He would ruminate, right? Instead of uh, listening to the political chatter of the people along the sides of the road that were talking very loudly because people who talk about politics love to talk loudly, he, he instead tuned that out, turned off the radio, and ruminated. Right? When, he, when he had a few moments at lunch, instead of pulling up Netflix and filling his mind with distractions, he chose instead to ruminate on the Word of God. When, when he um, had a quiet moment, and, uh, or maybe this was her, and, and you know, the kids were going crazy, and it's like, you, know, you go to the commode, and you close the door, and you have like five minutes. It's a moment of intentionality right? You have to be purposeful. You have to be intentional to engage this. Listen, we all ruminate all the time. You're going to ruminate one way or the other. The only question is what you're going to ruminate on. Are you going to be the guy who wanders into the kitchen and just snacks on whatever's in front of you? Or are you going to intentionally make a plan to ruminate on what's going to give you life and give you strength, right? There's a thousand things you can meditate on that are going to increase your anxiety, that are going to feed your discontentment, that are going to tempt you to bitterness and grumbling. But the psalmist is saying, I had the Word of God in my heart by intentionally ruminating on the Word of God. I choose to fix my eyes on your ways, O oh God, by fixing my eyes on your Word. Listen, a lot of us are struggling with discontentment, with anxiety, and other things. And, and there's a lot of things and a lot of reasons for that, and I don't look down on us for that, and I don't, listen, that's just a reality that we're dealing with, but let me ask you something, and I'm not going to ask whether or not those feelings are justified, I'm simply going to ask if those feelings are amplified. I'm not asking if your feelings of anxiety and discontent and, and, and emotional struggle are justified, but what are you doing to amplify what are you amplifying? Are you amplifying the anxiety by focusing on your fears? Or are you amplifying your security by meditating on God's Word? Are you amplifying your discontent by focusing on what you don't have? Or are you amplifying your, your, your incredible prosperity by focusing on what God has given you? Where you fix your eyes is where you lead your heart. What are you fixing your eyes on? Listen, I, I'm not saying you can overcome all anxiety and you can have perfect mental health if you just practice these five easy steps, but I can tell you this, that a person who is healthy in heart is somebody who has learned to have the focus on healthy things. They have learned to discipline their eyes, their ruminations, their thoughts in such a way that they are leading their hearts to what gives life. 
and not simply randomly grazing of the things that are robbing them of joy. Set your mind on the things of God and you will lead your heart to the presence of God. Intentionally meditating on the Word, memorizing the Word, will store up the Word in your heart. Psalm 119, 16 says, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your Word. Yeah, these two thoughts are, are poetically and clearly connected. Do you want to increase your joy? Your delight. You need to focus your eyes on what gives you the joy. You need to increase your consumption, your rumination, your meditation on what releases that joy, right? Increase your focus on it. Don't forget it. Commit it to memory. If the Word of God really is the treasure that God says it is, we'd be fools not to store it away in our hearts. So to close, I want to give you a challenge and give you some easy steps to get there. And this is the challenge. I want you to memorize something, okay? Now, I'm going to recommend Psalm 1. It's six verses. I think it's the first passage in the Bible as a believer that I intentionally memorized. There were other passages. You can memorize things just by ruminating on them, right? Sometimes you, you don't memorize things intentionally. They, you, they, you just memorize them because you've been working on them or thinking about them or studying them or sitting in them, right? It's not intentional. It just ends up becoming committed to memory, which is a beautiful thing too, right? That's a, that, there are lots of ways to get here. But Psalm 1 was one that I intentionally did and so I'm going to encourage you, right? Uh, hashtag Psalm 1, right? Let's make this a, a, a challenge. If you've already memorized Psalm 1, now's a great time to recommit it to memory. If you haven't memorized Psalm 1, now's a great time to commit it to memory. And if you're like, dude, I can, I can, I can quote Psalm 1 right now, right? Blessed are those who do not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he delights day and night, right? If you're able to quote it right now off the top of your head, pick another psalm, right? Do hashtag Psalm 32, hashtag Psalm 40, hashtag Psalm 119 Beth, which is the section we're looking at today, right? But, but, Here's, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Commit to this. Like, it has to be intentional. It has to be a choice. Memorization typically doesn't happen by accident, <laughs> right? Unless you're just listening to the same song on the radio over and over and over and over again, right? Grazing once again, mindlessly in the... So, uh, no, intentional, right? Psalm 1. Are you guys with me on this? You with me? Good. Because the people who are nodding yes, I'm like, all right, that's actually a commitment. The others of you are like, I don't know, Steve. I don't know. Maybe. All right. So let me ask you this. The first step to actually memorizing something is actually taking the step to saying, all right, I'm going to commit to doing this. So I'm giving you an opportunity to say yes to receive a blessing right now. Would you like to receive this blessing? If so, nod your head. Good. I'm seeing a lot of nods, which is what I want. That's your commitment. Not to me. Right? To yourself. Right? You're saying, yeah, I, I want to unleash the treasure, the beauty of this treasure in my heart. How do you do this? Right? How do you do this? I'm going to give you four easy steps. Start small, then add. Right? So in other words, commit to first verse. Don't be like, I'm going to memorize the whole thing at once. Right? Memorize the first line. Blessed is the man who does not 
Walk in the counsel of the wicked, right? The two W's are really helpful. Walk, wicked, you know, the ESV, that's really helpful. Nor do they stand in the path of sinners. The two S's are really helpful. Nor sit in the seat of scoffers. And then think about it, like ruminate on it. Man, that's an interesting progression. You go from, from walking to standing to sitting. You're going from activity to presence to being like maybe a little too comfortable, right? I wonder if there's something there for me. I wonder if there's, that God is saying something in this progression. You know what I'm saying? That's rumination. It's not just memorizing it. It's asking questions of the text. It's engaging it and asking the Spirit to show you things, right? Start small, though, and then add, right? So start with verse 1 and then, and then work on from there. Second, schedule a time to do it. Don't be like, okay, yeah, this is a great intention because if you don't plan your work, you, you are working. What is it? If you don't, if you don't, if you don't, if you, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. There you go. I memorized that somewhere along the line. I, was, I thought it was catchy, right? So he, you need to plan. What's your plan? When are you going to memorize it? Like, don't be like, oh, I'll just do it in my free time. You don't have any free time. So, so make a decision. Like, I'm going to turn off the radio in my car. I'm going to, every night, I'm going to write it out on a three-by-five card, and I'm going to have it next to my bed. So every night, that's what I look up, and, and I'm going I'm to try it. I'm going to read it over before I go to bed, and the first thing in the morning, I'm going to see how much I can recite, right? You don't have to do it that way, but you have to do something intentional. You have to schedule it, like put it on the calendar or attach it to an event, Whenever I go drive, whenever I, the first thing I do when, when I get up in the morning or when I pour my cup of coffee and sit down, right, you make it a commitment that is attached somehow to an activity in your schedule. Third, invite others. It's going to be a whole lot easier if you're doing it with somebody else and a whole lot more fun. If you're doing it with somebody and you're encouraging them and they're encouraging you and you're able to check on each other's progress, man, I'm telling you, the strength of community is, is such a, a tailwind in, in these things. It makes it fun, right? And if you're like, well, this person already has a, the entire Bible memorized, awesome, right? Maybe they can offer you some accountability and give you some tips, right? But don't run from them because they, they've, they've done more than you. Connect with them relationally, right? Um, we're going to talk about this more in the, in the next series. Relational connection is going to do more to unleash the power of the Word in your life than pure, isolated memorization ever could, okay? God works through the body of Christ to lead us into the beautiful experience of the grace of God. Invite others into it, okay? Not just for accountability, for community. And, and then finally, plan a celebration, right? What are you going to do once you have it memorized, right? We're such busy people that a lot of times we, we get this goal, we accomplish it, and then we just move on. And, and it's like, okay, I did that, right? what does the celebration look like? I don't know. Go out and get an adult beverage with your friend, right? And, and be like, hey, you recite it, then I'll recite it, right? Maybe go grab coffee with your neighbor and be like, hey, I, I memorized this thing. Would you mind listening, right? Whatever the celebration is, it, it just has to somehow be like, man, take joy in this with me. That's what celebration is, right? Take joy in this with me because joy shared is joy magnified. All right, this isn't hard. Well, okay, maybe it is. It's not impossible, right? This isn't mission impossible. This is definitely mission possible. It's six verses. We can do this together. Psalm 1. Hashtag Psalm 1, okay? If I had, I don't know, if I had some great social network, I'd tell you to post about it, but I don't. So let's just talk about it, okay? All right, let me close this word of prayer, uh, and then we are going to take a little bit of time. I'm actually going to put Psalm 1 and 2 on the screen. Uh, so that you can begin the memorization process. You can begin praying your way through these verses. 
right? Letting God reveal things to you already, okay? Um, but let's sit in them and let God speak to us in them, and then we're going to share communion together. Let me pray for us. Father, we do thank you for the gift of your word, the entire revelation to us um, is a gift. And Lord, sometimes we're intimidated by it. Sometimes it seems overwhelming. There are things in it we don't understand. There are things in it we don't like. But we know at the end of the day, your purpose in giving us the word was to reveal yourself to us that we might get the true treasure, the living word by engaging the written word. Lord, I pray that you will help us be a community that values this treasure by engaging it. Not just by honoring the printed book, but by engaging with our hearts and our minds the treasure within it. Help us, Lord, as we take these steps uh, to commit the Word of God to memory. I pray for my friends, Lord, that you'll give them those, those moments of epiphany, those moments of, 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 of like dynamic experience of your presence as they're memorizing, that you will start unlocking these experiences of your presence. That as they meditate on your word and think about your word and enter into it, they will sense your presence, feel your power, have their hearts encouraged. And Lord, their faith strengthened. Meet us in it, Lord, for your glory and our good. You guys take a few minutes. Let's meditate on Psalm 1. Thank you. Psalm 1, um, 1 and 2. And we'll share communion in a moment.